This season of Sincerely Human is sponsored by Riley Sway Foundation. Through community-focused programs, Riley Sway inspires teens to lead with empathy and kindness to build a better, kinder, more just world. From connecting student leaders to awarding grants for projects that amplify kindness, Riley Sway Foundation equips the next generation of leaders with the tools and resources they need to envision change and achieve it. Please stay tuned for Kindness Calling, our postscript segment featuring the remarkable teens from Riley Sway Foundation. We're thrilled to be sharing another amazing episode for International Women's Day. The theme this year is Choose to Challenge. Even beyond this day, we have chosen to celebrate women's achievements and the work they do to help build a more inclusive and just world, much like the guests you'll hear from today. As a way to take action, we'd love for you to share this episode with a friend. Let's lift each other up and support one another. of girls in India don't know what their period is before they get it. So they are literally, you know, on the playground, start bleeding and think they're dying and are suffering that trauma. And then when they go home, they're told not to talk about it. But by the way, when you're bleeding, you can't pray, you can't cook, you can't, you know, do all sorts of different things. And this is an argument I had with my grandmother until her dying day. You know, she was a very modern woman and still was horrified that I had the audacity to pray when I was bleeding. You know, these stigmas that get so instilled in even the women make you feel weak, make you feel like you always have to go home and not be able to be out and about in the world in a permanent way. So a job, uh, you know, being at school. And so these stigmas are truly oppressive for the development of girls. You're listening to Sincerely Human, a podcast that tells stories of kindness in action from the lens of today's most inspiring humans. This is Camille. And this is Maverick. Welcome to the show. The stigma around periods contributes to what is now known as period poverty. Period poverty is a global issue affecting millions of women and girls who do not have access to menstrual hygiene resources. In India, nearly a quarter of teens drop out of school when they get their periods due to the lack of hand-washing or toilet facilities. Breaking the stigma around periods is a key first step in alleviating period poverty. Because if we can't begin to talk about this issue, how are we going to solve it? Mega Desai is the president of the Desai Foundation. The organization focuses on elevating the health and livelihood of children and women in India and in the U.S. One of their programs addresses period poverty by providing both access to sanitary products and education around periods. The Desai Foundation was born from a desire within Mega's parents to make a difference. Originally from India, they migrated to the U.S. after college in the late 70s. My father wanted to build an organization that had one main goal, that served both the community that he was from, India, and served the community that had helped him build his life. 
Mago was born and raised in a predominantly white suburb, right outside Massachusetts. And spent most of my Monday through Fridays with my white colleagues. And then on Saturday and Sunday, was really immersed in Indian culture. And we did that through song and dance and Sunday school. And the thing that's always inspired me was that despite the fact that my parents came here with nothing, you know, they were able to build this incredibly strong community. And I was interested in singing and dancing. I was interested in debate. I was interested in school in general, uh, you know, a little nerdy and was okay with that. And I think that the thing that I've continued to be my whole life is curious. Even from a young age, Mega's curiosity led her to question her reality. When she was in fourth grade, she approached her parents with a question. I came to him with a flyer that I had seen in the school, and it said, Walk for Hunger, Project Bread, help, you know, feeding American children. And I brought home the flyer and I said to my mom, and this is only a statement that a young girl that has privilege can make. I said, I don't understand this flyer. You know, I've seen hunger in India, but I haven't seen hunger in America. And then I was sat down and explained that there's hunger everywhere and, you know, that this is the problem. And I was a little girl and I said to myself, well, we should do something about this. Mega convinced her family and friends to participate in a 20-mile walk for hunger. And there began kind of this act and life of service. And over the course of my life, I've always been involved in serving others. But I didn't really think that it was going to be my job. For the first 15 years of Mega's career, she worked in corporate advertising and marketing. By the metrics that had been enforced upon, you know, someone that's kind of entering their professional life, I did very well. I made money, I got promoted, I was winning awards, and I was working on sexy accounts. And so you think to yourself, this is what winning should look like. But after over a decade of climbing the corporate ladder, Mega began feeling differently. I just kept looking to see whose job I wanted. You know, like once you get to a certain point, you're like, okay, you know, which track do I want to take? And I was just kind of uninspired. And so my career kind of stalled a little bit. And I ended up kind of being at the same level for a little while. And that's really because I didn't know what direction I wanted to go in. And I felt to myself, okay, well, you know, my metrics are starting to to level out here. I got to reevaluate. So she decided to start her own marketing business, where she mostly worked with impact brands. And so that was feeling good. And I was rocking and rolling and, and, and building my business. On the side, Mega was also involved with her family's foundation. When the organization went public, she was helping to find an executive director. They interviewed over a dozen candidates from the nonprofit sectors. And these were people that were exceptional candidates, you know, but because of the way we think, we really needed someone that was like much more entrepreneurial, much more willing to take risks, and much more willing to fail. And we just couldn't find the right candidate. So my board kind of ganged up on me and basically said, why don't you take this role for one year? Give us some runway to find the right person. And so that was four years ago. And here I am still running this organization. This transition forced Mega to reevaluate her metrics of success. 
I can tell you this is a significantly more challenging job on every level. Uh, you know, being a manager in this job is more difficult. Uh, you know, being an advocate in this job is more difficult. Customer service is more difficult. Obviously, I get paid much less. Obviously, I'm working longer hours than I've ever worked before. But for Mega, it's all worth it, especially because it's for a cause she's passionate about. In many countries, especially in South Asia and in Africa, there are a lot of stigmas around how when you are bleeding, you are dirty. Therefore, you cannot cook. You cannot sleep in my same bed. You cannot sleep in the house. You cannot touch the pickle. You cannot fill the water tank. There are all these things that like you're dirty and therefore you're going to infect other things. Now, the other layer of stigmas is around silence. There is so little education in menstrual health and just general, you know, women's health that they are silenced from talking about their periods, from, you know, feeling like they're deserving of God's love when they're bleeding, or more importantly, asking their fathers to buy them pads. It's not that there aren't pads in India. It's that the act of accessing a pad is so difficult and traumatizing. And so they just were like, you know what, I'd rather just do something else and just figure it out on my own. And what's happening is that women and girls, especially girls, are getting infections. And these infections can lead to not just, you know, a discomfort or, or discharges, but infertility. And in a country where you are kind of valued on your ability to produce, this could be a lifelong battle and struggle and handicap for this young girl. For this reason, the Desai Foundation distributes menstrual products in rural India through their sanitary napkin program. They train women to manufacture and distribute pads and information around menstrual hygiene. In doing so, the organization is simultaneously providing job opportunities for these women and helping end period poverty. We're distributing pads in a way that women feel comfortable getting access. So yes, of course, our pads are cheaper, but they are also distributed by women. And so, you know, they're going through the villages and explaining why this is necessary, explaining why it's important. Through the Sanitary Napkin Program and other initiatives at the Desai Foundation, Mega's goal is to cultivate dignity in the people she serves. I believe that cultivating dignity for ourselves and for others is the greatest act of kindness of all. Because it's dignity that allows us to thrive. And for us, dignity is so wrapped up in how a girl feels about herself, how she interacts with her health, how she interacts with her ability to earn a living, and how she interacts with her menstrual cycle. And so for us, what we always are trying to ingrain is if we are cultivating dignity, then our work is full of kindness. And that is what I'm trying to inspire in others. If you want to learn more or get involved with the Desai Foundation, head on to the thedesaifoundation.org. Stay tuned for our postscript segment, Kindness Calling. In this edition of Kindness Calling, we're sharing the story of Naya Marshall, a senior at the Horaceman School in New York City. 
At just 18 years old, Naya has done amazing work tackling the issues of diversity and equity. She collaborated with her school administration on reform regarding these issues and has spoken to faculty and staff across divisions around anti-racism. I would definitely say just watching current events, being cooped up at home, I was really thinking about what can I do to be helpful and be a part of change and really be a part of this progress because I feel like you are so affected by something and so upset about something like the murders of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, all these people that we got to view on the news this summer. I think that having a sense of purpose in a movement is so incredibly important to me, whether it's going out and protesting or whether it's working on anti-racist work for your school. There are so many things that you can do. So what I did was I really band together with 40 other students that I knew, and together we created a foundation called Black Students Demanding Change. Through this initiative, Naya helped create 16 institutional action steps, ranging from teacher accountability to changes in the English and history curriculums at school. And what we really did was we went through our um, school handbooks and our school curriculums and said, what can we add to the table that would make it more diverse and inclusive for all students? Um, And in doing that, we essentially drafted the list and we met with our separate administrations from all the schools that were involved. And my school actually, I believe, was the first or second school to sign off on the list. And a lot of the work we've been doing was... We have a guest speaker series now, so we bring in um, speakers from various universities that are specialists in specific topics, like we talked about police brutality, we've discussed voter suppression, what's going on at the U.S.-Mexico border, so really broadening our level of knowledge surrounding topics in current events, because the most important part of becoming actively anti-racist, in my opinion, is education and really understanding the United States and all of the systemic issues that we have as a society. So in order to really become actively anti-racist and do this work, you have to know the foundations. And a lot of the work we're doing is making sure that our student body understands the foundations before they come to the conversation. If you can't already tell, Naya has already made a significant impact in addressing issues we're facing as a society. In doing this, She's cultivated her leadership skills by spearheading initiatives, including those created between the Young Women's Leadership School of the Bronx and Riley's Way Foundation. On a Riley's Way town hall meeting, we had a town hall meeting in April of 2020, really talking about um, how we can take action as a community and what we can do, because a lot of the Riley's Way values are centered around kindness, connection making and empathy. And with kindness, connection, making, and empathy comes service work. So how can we use our Riley's Way values to really make the world a better place? So while in the town hall meeting, I was listening to a whole bunch of ideas and just reflecting on who I am and what I love. And I love working with kids and wanting to mentor and really have that connection and have some face-to-face time through a screen. I think that's crucial came this idea, why don't we do a buddy reading program where we read to these students for 30 minutes a day, once or twice a week, and really create that connection. But this program that Naya leads goes beyond sitting down together, now virtually, to read a book. It's an opportunity for a pair of students to work together from a few months to a year and create a bond that could last a lifetime. Here, Naya talks about the role that kindness plays in her work. I think it's really tied to empathy for me personally and just 
realizing that we come from all different walks of life and Riley's Way reminds me of that every day because our councils are created with girls from different walks of life and we come together to really talk about our similarities and differences and in doing that it's really led me to realize how diverse our world is and all the different places we come from and the experiences we have and kindness is really the lens through which I view all of these differences and it really has opened me up to being able to discuss these differences with others when you lead with kindness you don't really realize how many doors open for you in terms of connection making but when you open your hand and really are vulnerable and just lead with a positive attitude you just meet so many amazing people and through Riley's way I've definitely been able to do that That's it for kindness calling Thanks again to our presenting sponsor, Riley Sway Foundation. On January 25th, Riley Sway Foundation opened its national initiative, the Call for Kindness competition for its third year. Teens from all around the country can submit their projects and ideas that are designed to make a difference and inspire kindness in their communities. Winners will be given $3,000 each to help implement their projects with their school or nonprofit partners. Deadline to submit entries is on April 7th. To learn more about the Call for Kindness and other life-changing programs at Riley Sway Foundation, please head on over to rileysway.org or callforkindness.org. Links are in our show notes. If, like us, you feel inspired by these stories, we'd appreciate it if you subscribed and shared our podcast. Next week, we have another story of kindness in action, so we'll see you then.